How would life be different if you were willing to fail and disappoint others? If you just simply stopped avoiding that altogether, would you work less? Would you try to perfect less? Would you be more decisive? A balanced and successful life includes failing and disappointing others. Our goal is never not to fail and disappoint, but it's to build up a tolerance for it so that we no longer avoid it. And this episode, we're going to get into the weeds talking about failure, disappointment, what they mean, what our brains want us to think they mean, and then ultimately learn how to build up a tolerance to feel them. You ready? Let's get to it. Welcome to the Ambitious and Balanced Working Mom Podcast, the place for women who want to balance their ambitious career goals with their life as a mom. If you're looking to feel more confident, decisive, and productive at both work and home, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Rebecca Olson. Let's get to it. There are two emotions that many ambitious working moms avoid, and because they avoid them, they often do things that cause imbalance in their life, failure and disappointment. Really, it's about disappointing others. Think about this for a moment. If you were willing to feel failure and disappointment, what would you do? Would you spend less time perfecting things? Say no to more people? Be more vocal in meetings? Maybe ask for a raise? Change companies if you want? Keep work during work hours and be unavailable during the evenings? Strange, isn't it, that most of these things that we would feel or do create a balanced life? A lot of the things that we need to do, the actions that we need to be taking or not taking in order to create a balanced life, the only reason we don't do them is because we fear failing or disappointing someone. So to create a balanced life, you're going to have to deal with the possibility of failure and disappointment. So I'm going to break all of this down into four parts. We're going to talk about the definitions of failure and disappointment. I'm going to debunk a common misconception about these emotions. I'm going to talk about the problem with fearing an emotion and then end with talking about how self-judgment magnifies fear. So let's dive into part one. What exactly is happening when we fear failure and disappointment? The basic definition of failure is when you don't hit the desired result. You put together a presentation in order to land a client, and you don't. When you try to make it home by six for dinner, and you get stuck in the office. When you try to meet a deadline for a deliverable, and you have to push it back. Failure is when you don't hit the desired result. Now, in a lot of ways, the definition of disappointing someone is kind of the same as failure. At least our brain kind of sees it that way. Because when you really dive into it, if you disappoint someone, what you're saying is that you failed them, that you did not meet the desired result, and thus they are disappointed. If you did meet the desired result, then they likely would not be disappointed, right? When you tell your child that you'll make it home for their soccer game, but you get stuck in the office, you feel like a failure as a parent because you disappointed your child. When you push back a deadline 
and your boss is disappointed in you, you feel like you failed. The fear of failure and the fear of disappointing someone often go hand in hand and feel like the same thing. Okay, so here's the second point I want to make about failure and disappointing. It's not actually that we fear failure. It's that we fear the feelings that come with failing. Let me repeat that. It's not that we actually fear failure. It's that we fear the feelings that come with failing. Failing in and of itself is not a feeling. It's a result. Though we often like to say that we feel like a failure, what we're actually saying is that we are feeling all the feelings that come when we don't meet the desired result. Think about that. Let's say you didn't meet the deadline for a deliverable. How does that make you feel? Disappointed in yourself? Frustrated, maybe? Guilty? Usually not meeting a deadline for a deliverable is not really life or death, right? People might have to wait on you. They might be disappointed, but it's not like you're not going to get it to them as soon as possible. So really, in the big scheme of things, failing to meet a deadline isn't often that big of a deal. But those feelings that come with failing, those could stick with you for days sometimes. The same is true when we disappoint someone. Disappointing someone is a result. It happens as a result of something that we do or we don't do. But we can't actually make someone feel disappointed. We can't take that emotion and literally stick it in their body. They create their own emotions just like you create yours. It stems from the way we think. So we can't create other people's emotions. So when we say that we fear disappointing someone, it's not that we fear them experiencing an emotion. It's that we fear all of the feelings that we're going to feel if and when they're disappointed. Let me give you an example. Your kids ask you to take them to the park, but you don't really have the energy at the end of the day to take them. And so you say no. And then your kid is disappointed. How do you feel? because they're disappointed. Do you feel guilty? Maybe like you're not a very good mom, frustrated with yourself for being so tired? Do you extrapolate that to mean something's wrong or you should be doing something different or that you're not enough? Let's really talk about this for a moment. If it's true that what we fear is our feelings, then what we're saying is that we fear the literal vibrations that pass through our body when we're experiencing an emotion. Now, that sounds a bit silly when you say it like that, doesn't it? And I don't really want to make this kind of all weird and woo-woo because it's really not. Emotions pass through our body in a series of vibrations, like literally our cells move when we experience emotions. You'd be able to see it under a microscope. It's like our biological response to feelings. So what if we were simply willing to experience those vibrations instead of avoid them or push them away? Literally, what if you were willing to just feel any feeling, any vibration, no matter how icky? Now, I've been practicing feeling my emotions over the last few years in an effort to really gain some more balance and joy in my life. And two things have stood out to me as I've been working on actually feeling those vibrations 
and allowing those emotions. The first one is that feelings pass much faster when we just simply allow them. Sometimes in a matter of seconds or a minute, it's actually the avoidance or the resistance of feelings that make them linger longer. When we simply feel the feeling and allow all the vibrations to happen and it moves through our body faster, we move on. I think a really great example of this is our toddlers. What happens after a toddler tantrums? They tantrum, they get out all this emotion, they cry, they stomp their feet, they feel their feelings, they throw things, and then what? They move on, right? Usually rather quickly too. Now, if your toddler is anything like mine, oftentimes after a tantrum, they're like, okay, that's done. Can I have some milk? Or you want to play with me? Once all of their emotion is out of them, they literally move on to the next thing. They can turn it off like a faucet and then shift into whatever's next. And the same is true for us as adults if we allowed ourselves to get out all of that emotion. The second thing that has stood out to me as I've been working on really experiencing and feeling all those icky vibrations that pass through our body is that I'm more present. When I'm focused on allowing my emotions, I'm directing my brain to what's happening inside of my body. And when your brain and your body are in the same place at the same time, that's the essence of being present. So as I have practiced feeling my emotions and I have turned my brain and my thoughts to what's happening literally in my physical body, I'm practicing being present. Okay, now let's talk about the last part of all of this, self-judgment. Now, there are two types of emotions that happen when we fail and disappoint. One set is the disappointment and frustration that comes from the failure itself And then the other set, they don't come from the failure. They come from the judgment about yourself from failing or disappointing. Essentially, you make that failure or disappointment mean, ultimately, that you're not good enough. You extrapolate this one moment as meaning something much deeper and bigger than it really is, as if it's commenting on your personal character and worth. That is self-judgment. And self-judgment creates a completely different set of emotions that are just simply piled on to the failure and disappointment. They are things like shame and guilt and inadequacy. These self-judgment emotions are actually optional because self-judgment is optional. You get to decide what failure or disappointment means. You can decide that it means you're not good enough Or you can decide that it means you simply have something to learn or that you're just human. Now, it strikes me that most of what we fear in failure and disappointing others is not the set of emotions that come with not getting to the desired result, but it's the emotions that come with self-judgment, the beating of ourselves up, the thoughts that make us feel inadequate and not good enough. These are the ones that tend to stick with us so much longer and hurt us the most. So part of building up a tolerance for failure is learning to treat yourself with compassion when it happens. Think of the way you would treat your child if they studied really hard for a math test and they got a C. Or someone who practiced endlessly to make the soccer team but still didn't make the cut. Would you judge them? 
Would you tell them how terrible they are and how they should have done better or they worked harder or that their effort wasn't enough? Of course you wouldn't. You give them lots of loves and hugs and remind them of how much they're loved and how great they are. And we want to treat ourselves in the same way when we fail, with lots of love and hugs and reminders of how great we are. All right, so let's recap a moment. Fear of failing and disappointment is what causes lots of actions that create imbalance. Actions like perfectionism and procrastination and saying yes too much and working late when we don't want to. So if we want to create a balanced life, we have to work at building up a tolerance for failing and disappointing. The first thing to build up that tolerance is recognizing that what we fear is not missing the mark or getting it wrong, but all of the feelings that come from it. And feelings are just simply vibrations in our body. So to a practice allowing those feelings, what I like to simply do is close my eyes in the midst of them, imagine them pulsing through me, and then ultimately just say, it's okay. I can handle this. My body is literally designed to house these feelings and vibrations. It's okay. The last thing we want to do to build up a tolerance for these emotions is to end any self-judgment associated to them. To recognize that failing or disappointing someone doesn't make us a bad person. Disappointing our kids doesn't make us a bad mom. Not getting it right all of the time doesn't mean we're bad employees or we're not committed. Building up a tolerance for failing and for disappointment is not allowing ourselves to make up a bunch of stories about who we are personally when we don't reach the desired goal. All right, Working Moms, that is all I have for you today. I'm going to catch you all next week. Let's get to it. I hope you enjoyed this episode today. If you're looking to create a life where your career and your home life never feel at odds, where you're working less, but achieving at the same level, a life without regret, where you know that you're doing exactly what you want to be doing and never missing out on your kid's life, then let me introduce you to the Ambitious and Balanced Working Mom Collective. This is a group of ambitious working moms who believe that work-life balance is possible for them and they're committed to creating it. The program includes 30 short videos and workbooks that will teach you how to create the building blocks of a balanced life, as well as weekly group coaching and in-depth support within a Facebook community. Oh, and did I mention that when you join the collective, you get lifetime access? That means you have access to coaching and material to help support your balanced life in every season. The Ambitious and Balanced Collective launches in June, but you can get a sneak peek of what to expect and get some pretty sweet bonuses if you join early. You can find all of the information on my website, www.rebeccaolsoncoaching.com forward slash coaching. Coaching.